The question is, are you ready if tonight in death you slip out of this world to stand before Jesus Christ? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Ever considered why Christ Jesus did not usher in His earthly kingdom immediately following His resurrection? What is the purpose for the span of time between His return to heaven and His return to earth? Well, hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 14 of his current series, The Future According to Jesus. Tom continues to examine the second part of the Olivet Discourse and the one single event to which all of history has been building, the second coming of Jesus Christ. You'll learn the events that precede its timing, the signs that happen right before his return, a full description of the appearance of the Son himself, and the reasons for which he returns. Let's join our teacher now for more on The Word Unleashed. Jesus says, you won't miss it. There will be signs before the second coming. And then will come, in response to all of that, not only have we seen the timing of the second coming, the signs of the second coming, but now comes the appearance of the Son. The appearance of the Son. Look at verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then, following quickly on the heels of those cosmic disturbances, coming on the heels of global darkness, when there's nothing to be seen, will come the shining, blazing brilliance of the Son of God like lightning across the sky. They shall see. The word they here in context has to refer to all of the people who were living on the planet at that time. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. Notice John in that verse makes Jesus' appearance global. All the tribes of earth. But he also makes it very personal. Every eye will see him. Before mass media, Christians through the ages have speculated how that could be. In fact, there's some fascinating accounts from the early church fathers. One early church father thought the way it was going to happen is God was going to put a blazing cross in the sky. Of course, now, with the advent of worldwide media coverage, we no longer have to be concerned about how it could happen that every eye could see Him. It may be through means, or it may be that God does it miraculously so that no one on the planet misses it. Regardless of how it happens, Jesus says, they shall see. Notice verse 26. What do they see? The Son of Man coming in clouds. That simple statement points to the grand finale of human history and the grand finale of God's eternal redemptive plan. The Son of Man 
Throughout his ministry, Jesus used that expression of himself, the Son of Man. You can see it throughout Mark's gospel. What's interesting about that description is it can be used simply to refer to Jesus as a genuine human being. Some of the prophets used that expression, Son of Man. But it was intentionally ambiguous. Because not only could it refer to Jesus as a man, he's the Son of Man, it could also mean much more. By itself, the title simply means Jesus is human. But here, in Mark 13, 26, it can only mean one thing. Jesus is identifying himself with a particular Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. Turn back to Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel has this vision in the early part of chapter 7 of the kingdoms of the world. And instead of an image like Nebuchadnezzar's image back in chapter 2, this time it's, it's presenting those empires of the world as beasts, ugly monstrosities. While all of that's going on, verse 9 says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is God himself. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire, a chariot throne. And a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. This is Antichrist in context. This is the man who will set himself up against God. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beast, the rest of the world empires, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. They each died. Each world empire came and left, but continued and sort of was subsumed in the the next. Verse 13. Here we get to the heart of it. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him... To this Son of Man was given a dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's what Jesus is claiming. He is claiming to be this person. He is claiming to be the one to whom God the Father gives eternal glory, which, remember, God doesn't share His glory with anyone, except in this case, His Son. By the way, the clouds that are described here are not normal clouds. Instead, they probably refer to the Shekinah, that brilliant, blazing, glory cloud that pictured God's presence in the Old Testament. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be with those fluffy white things that we enjoy floating through the afternoon sky. It's going to be with the blazing brilliance of the Shekinah glory of God. 
Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, it will be with indescribable majesty and glory. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 to 4 says, When everything looks its darkest for the nation Israel and for Jerusalem, when it is being attacked at the end of that period of time, then he will come and he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives the very place from which he departed in Acts chapter 1. And the angel said, he'll come in like manner as you've seen him go. But turn with me to Revelation. Revelation 19. Here is the most graphic account of the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. He has piercing laser eyes that distinguish everything the way they really are. And on his head are many diadems. He's he's a tried and true veteran. This is not a new warrior. This is a warrior who has fought many successful battles. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. People always ask, so what is the name? Think about that for a moment. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. This robe is dipped in blood because, again, he is a warrior who has fought for his people throughout human history. He is used to victory. He hasn't even gotten to the battle that he's coming to fight. This is past battles that have stained his robe. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses, By the way, what I love about this battle is you and I don't have to fight in it. We just are along for the ride. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. The idea is Jesus himself doesn't have to fight physically. Just as he made the world by the words of his mouth, he speaks and his enemies are destroyed. He will rule them with a rod of iron, And here's a terrifying picture. When he returns, he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. The people of earth who are his enemies, who have battled him and cursed his name and abused him and his people in every way, will be like a wine vat filled with grapes and he on his mighty charger will crush the life from them. He goes on to say, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the exalted one. He's coming with great power and glory, he said. And there it is. That's the description of it. He came the first time almost unnoticed and in complete humiliation. When he returns, it will be with the glory of his Father. How will the people of earth respond to the glorious appearance of Jesus Christ? Here's how they'll respond. Matthew 24, 30. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Luke 21, 
There will be dismay among the nations. There will be perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear and from the expectation of what's coming. Revelation 1.7, Behold, He's coming. Every eye will see Him. And all the tribes of earth will mourn over Him. But not mourning to repentance. The mourning for the consequences that are coming. He's coming. When He comes, what will be the focus of the Son? Look at verse 27. You know, there are many reasons for the second coming. One reason is to execute God's vengeance on the wicked. That's one of the reasons Jesus is coming. Second Thessalonians 1 says... The Lord will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's one of the reasons for the return of Christ. But the real focus of the second coming in this text, Jesus says, is not the wicked, but it's His elect. Look at verse 27. And then He will send forth the angels and will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of earth to the farthest end of heaven. Again, notice the time reference here. Then, in conjunction with the second coming, Jesus will send forth the angels, those powerful created beings intended to serve God and the saints. And at His command, the angels will gather together His elect. Who are these people? Well, putting the total picture together, these are probably believers who came to faith in Jesus as Messiah during the tribulation and survived the onslaught of the man of sin. Here's how Daniel puts it in Daniel 12, verse 1. He says at the end of that verse, after that time of tribulation, he says, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Be rescued. Jesus will come to rescue His elect. You see this as well in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. I love this because it just shows the grace of God. Verse 9, Zechariah 12. And in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Remember at the end of the tribulation period, the nations gather to destroy God's people. And God says, I will set out to destroy them. Verse 10, in the middle of that, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad-Rimon in the valley of Megiddo, or in the plain of Megiddo. That was the weeping over the death of King Josiah. It'll be like that, he says. Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, the weeping won't last because in that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. A fountain for sin and for impurity. Jesus is coming for His elect. Notice He gathers them back in Mark's Gospel. 
verse 27, he gathers them from the four winds, that is from the four points of the compass, and from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Apparently, that refers to the reality that heaven and earth meet at the horizon. And so from every point of horizon, he will gather his elect from all the compass points of the globe. They'll be scattered to every corner of the globe, his elect, but he will gather them. This shows the grace of God, doesn't it? During the tribulation, even as he pours out his wrath on the earth, he'll still be redeeming people from all over the planet. And he's coming back to rescue them. By the way, this expression at the end of verse 27 also shows the universal rule of Jesus Christ. There is no place on the planet. Jesus is not a local deity. People, as Revelation says, I love this, Revelation 7, John looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. Can't get more inclusive than that, okay? Every ethnicity, every language, however you want to classify people, they're all represented standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They're believers and palm branches were in their hands. One of the elders says to John, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Some are martyred for their faith during the tribulation period. They're pictured here. Others from every tribe and nation and tongue scattered all over the globe will survive and Jesus will come for them. Jesus is coming back and chiefly it will be for His own. Now, when we contemplate the second coming, what are the lessons for us? What should we learn? How should we respond? First of all, when we think of the second coming, it should confront us with the reality of a future judgment. Jesus will interrupt life as we know it. Do you understand that? Life like it is today is not going to continue forever. It could be the rapture will occur tonight. It could be the time events could start in place where seven years from now, Jesus returns after pouring out His wrath on this planet. He returns, but He will return. Make no mistake, you will stand. Or more accurately, you will fall before Jesus Christ. There will be no exceptions. You and I all will fall before Jesus Christ personally. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Hebrews 9, 27, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. It may be by His coming, it may be by death, but the reality of future judgment is coming. In Acts 17, 31, The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead shows that through this same person, through Jesus, He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. The question is, are you really ready for that? Are you ready if tonight in death you slip out of this world to stand before Jesus 
Christ. There's a second thing that we should think about when we think about His coming. That is, as believers, it should strengthen our hope. Look at 2 Thessalonians with me just briefly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul talks about the the amazing persecution and inflictions, verse 4, that the church endures in this world. Some of them inflicted by those who hate Christ, others just part of living in a fallen world. But he says, listen, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And verse 6 says, It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Primarily the reference here is to those who are antagonistic to our faith, to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 10, He will come to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Listen. Your faith is true. He's coming. Let it strengthen your hope as you face the difficulties of this life. It should also encourage our personal holiness. I won't turn there, but 1 John 3, you remember, John says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When He appears, we'll be like Him. So how do you respond to that reality? For us, the rapture. How do you respond to the reality that Jesus is coming? He says, everyone who has this hope in Him, what? Purifies Himself even as He is pure. The hope of Jesus coming, of standing before the Lord whom we've never seen but love, should cause us to long for personal holiness. And finally, to remind us of Jesus' love for us. I love this. Listen, if you are a true Christian, you are the special object of Jesus' affection. Just as the elect who are on the earth at that time, at the second coming, that He returns to rescue. He comes back to rescue them because He loves them. And you are the object of His affection as well. You are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. Think about that. You know, we've all seen a a man who is in love doting over his fiance. It's amazing to me is that's how Jesus Christ thinks of us. The affection that a loving man has for his wife-to-be is the very best way God could choose to illustrate and describe Jesus' view of us corporately and of us individually. No matter what's happening in your life right now, or what may come in the future, Jesus Christ loves you as His elect with an undying love. And He will come for you. The world has not seen the last of Jesus Christ. He came, and He's coming again. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 14 of his current series, The Future According to Jesus. Join us next time for part 15 as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. 
And Tom, God's ways are not our ways, and His timing may not always make sense to us, especially when it comes to the timing around the return of Christ. Isn't that right? That's right. You know, we can't fully understand the mind of God. As Moses reminds us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And so we can only operate on what's been revealed. We will never know the exact day and hour until it unfolds. But it is important that as believers, we, we hear Christ's call to persevere, to keep on believing, to remain faithful in our commitment to him, in our love toward him, in living in a way that honors him so that we're not ashamed of his coming, so that we can celebrate the wonderful return of our Lord for his own before the tribulation and the rapture and for those who live during the tribulation and are redeemed at the second coming. What an amazing reality. Our Lord will come for his own. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.